We're going to be looking, as I said, at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. I have to look. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. And this is the message that we proclaim to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If, you, if, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's chapter 1. That's what we're doing for these first two weeks. Um, And you can see, I had to look too. So the idea is not to be legalistic. The idea is to get as much of the Word of God as you can into you so that you can use it to shape you, that Christ will use it to shape you as you walk through life and temptations come your way. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more Scripture you have, the less you'll sin. And so we just want to put as much as we can into you. You can, you can flip back and forth from track A to track B every two weeks. Um, we just want you to put as much of God's word in your heart that you can so that you can fight sin and have real, um, real joy and real uh, victory in, in fighting against sin in your life. Um, now, as I said, we're going to be looking at what is the first four verses of 1 John, which is, which is known as his preface. And so John is just kind of um, wanting us to know what Christianity is, wanting us to understand what it is. Um, And so because of that, if you're a Christian here today, um, I'm not really sure that anything I'm going to tell you is going to be new. I'm really not sure. I don't don't think that anything I'm going to say if you're a Christian is going to be like brand new to you that you've never heard. And so because of that, because of that, um, I want all of us to pray in just a minute, that God would take these truths that you know and that He would hit you in a new and fresh way with the gospel, that it would shape the way you live. Now, if you're, if you're not a believer, these could, be, um, these could be things that you've heard for the first time. And I would just ask that as we pray, that you would, that you would pray that God would teach you with these things and open your eyes to the beauty of what's in here. Specifically, that you'll see Jesus um, and that you'll start getting a glimpse of all that he is for us. But for those that are Christians, um, that some of these things are things that you've heard. As we pray, I just pray that you would ask that God would take these truths that you know and let them just be incredibly warm blankets that you love to live under and that you love to let guide the way you live. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. And um, I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds, 60 seconds by yourself before I pray. And I just want you to pray the way that God's leading, that he would... Open your eyes to the things in His Word. Let's pray. Father, I ask for help this morning. I'm completely aware that um, the task of preaching Your Word is not anything I I deserve at all. 
I'm humbled by an opportunity to be able to preach. And so I confess my absolute need for you. Um, it doesn't matter how winsome I can be. It doesn't matter how convincing I can be. It doesn't matter how funny I can be. All of that is meaningless unless you come Holy Spirit and you superintend the words that I speak and you come Holy Spirit and you convict the hearts that listen. You encourage the hearts that listen. You guide us into your truth. And so God, I I ask for help this morning that I would not rely upon myself at all but totally upon you. God, I pray that as we look at things in your scriptures that we probably know already as Christians, that you would take these truths and let them land fresh on us, that the gospel would be amazing to us again if it's faded. And for those here that might not know you, Christ, I pray that as we look at these truths, these these things that are true about the person of Jesus, that we wouldn't just look at them as intellectual facts, because that's not why you wrote them, but that you would transform our minds, regenerate our hearts, so that we would see Jesus in the Scriptures and His Gospel, that we would understand that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that beautiful, amazing truth would just blow us away. So I pray for salvation this morning and I pray for help. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every Monday night as a staff, we meet at my house. Um, All the staff have full-time jobs or at least jobs. Um, And so we meet on Monday nights um, to be able to kind of plan the next week. And so we just kind of got started um, and then my doorbell rings and I go out there and there's a mom of a neighborhood that I've never met, but she has a little boy. He's about six years old, and he, his name's Sammy. And Sammy just rides his bike all over the neighborhood by himself. And she rings the doorbell because she knows Sammy will sometimes come to our house and, um, and play with, with our kids. <coughs> and so she says, have you seen Sammy? And I'll, I'll no, he hadn't been here today. Um, and she said, I, I can't find him anywhere. He's supposed to already be home, and, and I, don't know, I don't know what to do. Um, and so I was like, okay, um, I don't, I don't know where he is. Uh, we'll, we'll be praying for him. We're having a staff meeting. And she's like, all right. So I, I go in and I tell my wife, uh, Sammy's missing. And she starts getting upset because, you know, Sammy's you know, he's a cute little six-year-old boy. Um, and even if he wasn't cute, of course, we'd be upset. So, um, But anyway, back to the story. Um, so I go in and I tell the guys. I was like, hey, guys, um, I know we're just now starting the meeting and this will probably delay it. But... Uh, there's a six-year-old boy named Sammy uh, that's, that's missing in the neighborhood and his parents can't find him. Um, and I've been deeply desiring to get to know his parents. Um, and this would, be, this would be awesome if we could show, show that Christ's love compels us to go love them well and walk out there and look for Sammy. And so um, we wanted to demonstrate what God's love has done to us. So we go, um, and, and of course we also want to find Sammy. Um, but we go out there and we start looking for Sammy everywhere. We just... Um, we all get in our cars and we just kind of go separate ways. We're running and it's freezing outside and um, we're running around and we're kind of concerned. And so we go find one of the kids and he shows us Sammy's play places and we can't find Sammy anywhere. It's starting to get dark and the parents are really, really starting to get worried. I mean, extremely, extremely worried. Um, and one of the, this is amazing. Um, we, uh, 
we stop, and Cameron and I were together at this time, some of the other guys were kind of spreading, and we stop his dad, <clears throat> and we're, uh, we're saying, we're, we're going to keep looking, we're going to keep trying to find him, and Cameron's like, let me, let me, pray, let me pray for you, um, that God would give us wisdom to, to know where to look. Um, and so, just a short, you know, prayer to God to give us some help um, to his dad, with his dad, me and Cameron and his dad. His mom's so upset, she just kind of walks away, and we're standing there, and then Cameron and I go spread, spread out and look some more, um, and his dad's just kind of standing there, and he's kind of giving me the story later. I didn't know, which I don't believe his dad's a, a believer at all. Um, and he said that something after we prayed made him think, you know what, I've knocked on every door on this particular street, um, but that one. I'm going to go knock on that door. And he walks down. It's getting dark. I mean, Sammy should have been home a while ago. And he goes and knocks on the door, and there's Sammy. And so he's telling me the story later. He goes, right when your friend prayed, it's just like, I knew where to go. And we're just kind of like amazed that, um, that it happened that easily because we had already called the police and they're looking. Um, and so I get back and, and we have our meeting and then I'm just kind of sitting there by myself and I'm thinking, um, what was it that when I go to my friends, to the staff here, and I'm like, hey guys, um, none of y'all know Sammy, but would you go with me and, and help me try to find Sammy? And they're all immediately, absolutely, no big deal at all. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to go out in the cold. We're going to go scream our, our, our voices raw that we can find a kid. We're going to walk through mud. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can. What, what is it that's going to compel people as soon as they hear somebody's lost, we need to go? Um, what is it that drives us? What's pushing that is that there is someone that needs to be found. When someone's lost, they need to be found. And love compels us all to go do that. And, and whether it's a six-year-old boy and he's lost physically, or it's your neighbor down the street, or your loved one or your coworker, if someone is lost and needs to be found, love should compel you to go find them. Love should compel us to go find them. And so John is writing to us, living with the conviction that there are those that are lost that need to hear the gospel so that they need to be found. And we should, just like those guys on Monday, have a deep down desire, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how inconvenient it might be, how, much, how long it might take, or whether we're going through it, it's going to be very uncomfortable and not going to be the most satisfying thing to do at that moment for us. If there are people that need to be found, we need to go find them. And so as we go into this... Um, John is going to give us some distinct aspects of Christianity here. Some very distinct aspects of Christianity. And I'm, I'm praying that these things would drive us to go be the kind of people that realize that there are many people out there that need to be found. Many people that we need to go tell these things to, these truths, so that they may know the gospel of Christ. So, we're going to be looking at Christianity. Now, John is written um, by the disciple... First John is written by the disciple John. Um, there are 12 disciples. John was the youngest one of all of them. Um, he was probably in, in Ephesus at the time. Um, there's a letter to the Ephesians that was written um, to them. And this was probably written in the early 90s. So one of the later books written of the New Testament. Um, I unpacked really the entire overview of who John was in, in, in the letter last week. So if you want to listen to that, it's on iTunes. You can grab that. Um, I kind of addressed a lot of things and I'll... I'll 
I'll use some of those things I said last week, but I'll, I'll make you aware of them if you missed last week. Um, and the way John writes First John, which is very interesting, it's not like the, the letter of Ephesians, if you're familiar. The letter of Ephesians is just three chapters of doctrine and now three chapters of application. John doesn't do that way. He, he uses kind of these circle writing methods where he just keeps throwing doctrine and application. And doctrine and application is just this huge mix of both continually the entire time through the book of First John. So it's, it's a lot of commentators say, and I agree, very difficult to try to um, exegete, very difficult to try to explain, but by God's grace, hopefully we'll get some insights as we go through it. Um, but as we go through, I want to uh, show you a couple things. So these, these things I'm going to show you today, and I don't think we'll get to see them all, are the distinct aspects of Christianity, the distinct aspects of Christianity. Um, and what <clears throat> a man um, said is this. He said, the most important thing John has to say in his preface, which is verses 1 through 4, the most important thing that John has to say in this preface is that Christianity is Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a set of beliefs. Christianity is not just being moral. Christianity is not following the rules. Christianity is not belonging to a church. Christianity is not being kind to your neighbors. Christianity is Jesus Christ first and foremost. That is what it centers in on. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and take a look at this and we'll, we'll just see how far we can get. Um, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, if you study Scripture um, at all, you'll probably notice that this sounds like a couple other letters um, or a couple other books in the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning. In the beginning is how it starts. Well, John, who wrote this letter, he also wrote a gospel um, called John. Um, when he wrote that in John 1.1... This is how he begins John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, the, when he says this Word, if you notice in John 1, it's, it's a capital W because he's, he's saying that word logos in the Greek, he's saying that's Jesus. So when you see in the beginning was the Word, he's saying in the beginning was Jesus. And he says this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, um, the essence of being God means that you're eternal. You, you can't have a starting point. If you're God, you're eternal. And so John in this book um, is going to echo those, those same types of language. And here he says, that which was from the beginning. So we can already see that he's, he's doing the same thing he did in his gospel, starting it off. In the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, in John 1, 1 was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here he goes, that which was from the beginning... Now, you'll notice there's a little bit of different language. Um, this time it's from the beginning, not in the beginning. Um, the other two um, are claiming the eternality of Christ, um, the eternality of God and how they are. Um, and so John's still wanting us to see that, that Jesus Christ is God and he's eternal and that he's always existed. But also when he says that which was from the beginning, he's kind of talking about this, the beginning of the public ministry of Christ. Therefore, when the gospel and all of its fullness was now made plain to us. So there's, there's a couple things he's trying to do to us, uh, not do to us, but show to us. Um, and we see that at the end of verse one, because which was from the beginning, which we have heard. And he says, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. And then here he says, concerning the word of life. Now, it's, it's interesting that he uses the word and of life. The word, as we saw in John 1.1, 1, 1, is God. It's Jesus. 
Um, but he also says the life. John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So both of these are talking about Jesus when he says the word and the life. But also this in, in verse 1 when it ends, it says concerning the word. Um, all throughout the New Testament, when you hear the word, it's also talking about the gospel, the good news, which is the message of Christ that he came into the world to save us. All right, so here's the first aspect of Christianity that I want you to see. The first aspect in just that very first verse is he starts making it sound like the other two books. This is what it is. Jesus has always existed. Therefore, Christianity has always existed. Let me move out of your way if you want to write this down. Um, Jesus has always existed. Therefore, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Fully, 100% God. He never had a starting point. He has always eternally existed with the Father in perfect relationship with the Father with the Spirit. Jesus has always existed. Therefore, Christianity has always existed. Now, we're talking about distinct aspects of Christianity. Um, all other religions have a starting point. Are you aware of this? Christianity is eternal because it starts with Jesus, and Jesus is the only God. So, all other faiths, religions, do not have this. Now, they may claim to have this, but they don't. Because Jesus clearly tells us throughout his entire ministry that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He claims deity repeatedly. He claims deity. So, he, and we believe these scriptures are true. He is God. He has always existed. So, everything that he says is absolute truth. So, therefore, Christianity has always existed. No other religion has. So a distinct aspect of Christianity is that it has always existed. And that Jesus is God. He has always existed. Now, the next thing is this. Look what he says here. And, and we kind of talked about this last week. Um, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now remember, he's talking about the gospel and he's talking about Christ. John was... Um, a contemporary of Jesus. John lived with Jesus. He lived at the same time as Jesus. He was a disciple. He followed Jesus around for his ministry. And, and John says, um, which we have heard. So John has heard the gospel. Um, but he has heard it firsthand. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Touched with our hands. Um, we're going to see here, and I talked about this last week, um, some of the people that had started coming in where John was writing, there were some people called the Gnostics. Um, these Gnostics, um, this, the word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. So they were lovers of knowledge, seekers of knowledge, which is a good thing. We should be lovers of knowledge and seekers of knowledge. However, what made them distinct and heretical is that they, they found that salvation is by knowledge. Salvation is only through Christ. Um, and they, because they believe that salvation is only through knowledge, they would say, well, that's, that's the best thing, is knowledge. That's the way we get saved. So um, anything earthly isn't, isn't good. It's all evil. Therefore, Jesus, um, when he came to earth, could not have been real flesh. He had to have just been you know, appearing flesh, but not real flesh. Because if he was actual flesh, if he was really a man, Jesus was evil. And Jesus can't be evil since he's God. 
And so the Gnostics were teaching this. And so John, we can hear how he's trying to refute this idea in verse 1. He's trying to refute this Gnostic idea uh, when he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So here's the second distinction of Christianity that I want you to see, is that Jesus was a man. There's no debate in this um, in Orthodox Christianity, or um, which means just basically the right doctrines um, passed down to us through the last 2,000 years by all the church fathers. Um, there's a lot of benefit in that. Orthodox Christianity is always held to that Jesus was 100% God, that's point one, 100% man. And how the two come together is a mystery to us, but we must as Christians affirm both of them. And so John is trying to... Um, John is trying to refute these Gnostics. Um, James Montgomery Boyce, he's a, he's a commentator, um, writing on this, said that the historical Jesus and a personal commitment to him belong together. You can't have just a belief that there was this man named, named Jesus that lived historically, but not have a personal commitment. Or, and, and this is really weird, um, you can't have this kind of commitment to him but not really believe the right things about to him uh, believe the right things about him um john would have never in his mind thought that it would be okay to have one or the other both have to happen so if you believe which there is just a tremendous amount of evidence that this is true that there was a man named jesus the historical jesus in john's mind that means the his if if, if you believe there is a historical Jesus, then there must be a, com a, a personal commitment to him. You have to have both. Um, you can't say, and, and there's really, as I said, kind of two ways that you can go. You can hold one or the other. You can't say, I believe Jesus existed, but I don't want to really personally commit myself to him. Um, that's a problem with our ethics. That's a problem with our morals. When we say, I believe that Jesus existed. However, um, I have things that I want to do in my life I personally like all that sin. And so I just want to commit that sin. And I believe that Jesus existed, but it's not supposed to necessarily affect the way I live. So college student, um, and, and this is where I saw it most prevalent, is in college. Um, you can't say, I believe that Jesus existed. However, I still want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend all the time. Party all the time and do everything I want to. Um, there's a disconnect going on. And in John's mind, there is no such thing as having a belief that there is a Jesus and not having a personal commitment to him. Now, there's the other way. There's those that can say, well, um, I follow Jesus, but I don't really have to believe he lived and died historically. Now, I, I doubt that we have people in here, but you'll find this, uh, that believe that, but you'll find this a lot of times in what is known as liberal Christianity. Um, where they don't hold to inerrancy of the scriptures. They don't necessarily hold to what would be some of the, the key things that, uh, you know, virgin birth, whatever. Resurrection, it's okay if he didn't die to me. Um, those, it's okay if he didn't really, you know, come back from the grave. I still, I still follow him. He still was a good teacher and he had a lot of good things to say. And so we'll really find this more in, in what would be um, liberalism. So there's, there's two problems. Either one is with our ethics or one is with our theology. Now, here in the theology, you'll find in liberalism where there are people who are moral. They are very moral people. They, they follow what would be considered um, the laws of God in his scriptures. Um, and they have some kind of 
tacit personal commitment to Jesus. I'm not really sure what it's to, um, but they have some kind of personal commitment to Jesus, but they don't believe in the Scripture's inerrancy. They don't believe in the Scripture's sufficiency. And, and in the end, they have no real belief in Jesus Christ, as John is describing to us here in the first four verses. So you can't have both. And so John is wanting to address both of those and say that you can't have both of them. Now, if we look, he, um, in this specifically, is wanting to uh, um, teach on the doctrine of the resurrection, to which he was an eyewitness. We talked about this last week, um, that John was at the cross, he saw Jesus die, but he was also at the tomb. Um, it says in John 20 um, that he and Peter were going to the uh, to the to the tomb, which we're going we're gonna to look at that text in just a second. And John was younger than Peter, so he outran Peter. He's like some sprinter. Um, and he gets there. We'll look at it in just a second. But he's, he's talking about um, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Um, and I just want to kind of break these things down to us and look at John, take on these claims of Gnosticism that Jesus wasn't really um, flesh. He wasn't really um, a, a man and just see how he breaks them down and how he does it one at a time. And it, it, it may take us a little bit, but it's, it's, there's some good stuff in here. First of all, he says, um, that which we have heard, that which we have heard. John had heard the gospel, which is the good news of Christ, directly from Jesus. Directly from Jesus. He was um, an eyewitness to the accounts. He was a contemporary of Christ. And so he was one of his disciples. Um, and that goes a long way. I, I think sometimes... Here in, in 2010, when we're so far removed from this, um, the eyewitness accounts we just kind of throw to the side. It's like, oh, that's a book written by men, whatever. Uh, so they just wrote whatever they want. Um, for someone to be an eyewitness account, especially um, in this time period, was a huge thing. So as he's writing, there is no idea like, oh, we're not going to believe that. Everyone says, these things are true. And so as we come down here to 2010, we shouldn't approach these things like, ah, it's just men wrote things. They're all kind of myths or whatever. These things are absolutely true, being passed down to us, being preserved by the Holy Spirit, that, um, that we would have his scriptures. And these things are absolutely true, written to us by an eyewitness. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there were up to 500 people that saw Jesus after he rose from the grave. 500 so there were many, many eyewitnesses to this. Um, and so John is saying, I've heard this directly from this. So I have a lot of authority to speak to this gospel. And this is what it is when I'm telling it to you. Um, and he's telling it to Christians so that they will be strengthened in their faith in the gospel. Now, the next one is this. Not only did he hear it, um, it says that which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon. Now, there's some amazing words that he's using here when he says the word see. And it's going to take a little bit of explaining to do. Um, and we're going to need to look over at John's gospel. When we see this word see, um, we might just kind of brush by it because the word is kind of lost in translation to us. Um, but I want us, to, I want us to see the word see that he's trying to tell us. All right, so flip over with me to, to John. Um, go to the 20th chapter, John chapter 20. Um, and I want you to... See, because there are, there are three different words for, for see in Greek. And I want you to see, I keep saying the word see, but there's another, I want you to know what he's trying to tell us. Alright, look at verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. We're gonna look at verses 1 through 10. Um, this is the resurrection. <clears throat> this is after the resurrection had happened. 
It says, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, which we'll celebrate next Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, went to Simon Peter, who was kind of the, uh, the leader of the twelve disciples, um, and the other disciple, and that's John. Every time we see this other disciple, that's John calling himself. He never calls himself by name. Very humble guy. And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's, that's, Jesus called him the beloved disciple, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So they just immediately thought, somebody's taken his body. They weren't even thinking that he has been resurrected. And it says this, um, So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Now, I just think it's hilarious that <clears throat> this is John writing about himself. He had to just kind of stick it to Peter right there. By the way, old man, I'm faster than you. Anyway, um, so <clears throat> he says, uh, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw, there it is, saw. This is the, the Greek word blepo, which is the most common word in Greek for the word see. Um, the most common. And it, it simply just means to see with the eye. Um, there's not necessarily any cognitive processes happening. There's no knowledge being taken in. It is just a, a capturing of circumstances with your eye. Most common word, see. That's not what he uses in First John. So um, he says, in stooping in, he saw the linen cloths. So basically what he's saying is, um, I looked in, John, and I saw stuff, but I had no clue what I was looking at. I just saw, hey, there's some cloths. And this is what happens, lying there, but he did not go in. <clears throat> then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths there. So here's another word. This isn't blepo. This is actually theore. Um, and this means to view attentively with contemplation. Like you're, you're, you're starting to get some, a picture of what's going on. So we can see that there's a little progression here. John just kind of saw, Peter saw um, with with some attentiveness, and he starts getting some contemplation going on. <clears throat> and he saw the cloths laying there, um, and the face and the face cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, had not lying in the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. <clears throat> then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. Now he's talking about John. Um, went in and saw. And look what he put right after that. And believed. Now, this word saw is adain, which means to see and experience. So this is a whole different one. This is to see with experience. And notice he tags on right after that see, and he believed. So this word see is very, very rich with meaning. I have seen it. I have experienced in it. And it has caused me to believe. John uses that word see three times in the preface of 1 John 1. Three times in the first four verses. So this, this term is packed with meaning. I've seen it. I've experienced Jesus, the Son of God, and I have believed because of it. So back over to First John 1, um, when he says, We have seen with our eyes, and we have seen it in verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it. In verse 3, that which we have seen. All three of those are this, this scene where I have taken in, and I have understood, and it has meaning. I have experienced it, and it's caused me to believe. So um, this is the last word. And Calvin tells us, as he's, as he's writing and commenting on these verses, he says that to believe is not lightly, but to form an opinion. Um, 
this word see is supposed to cause an experience where we believe. So Calvin's saying that whenever we see these things, we're supposed to believe. We're not supposed to just kind of lightly form some opinion. Oh, there's some, I got some thoughts on that. That's, that's a good idea. Um, or it's not just supposed to cause us to assent to what's been said, which just means that we're not supposed to kind of agree with, with facts. Oh, yeah, okay, that sounds good. But um, we're supposed to have a firm, undoubting conviction that we may dare to, to subscribe to the truth as fully proved to us. That's what Calvin says here when he's talking about this. It's not just some kind of lighthearted opinion. Oh, I've seen some stuff. I've got some thoughts. Or it's just not like, okay, that sounds good. I'll agree with that. It's to cause us to have undoubting conviction that we may believe these truths that have been presented to us. That's the word see here. That's what John has said has happened. All right, and you can just see he is just going straight after these Gnostics. I have heard it, I have seen it, and then he says that I have touched with our hands. Um, very obviously, you can touch flesh. You, you, can, you can touch it. You can't really touch spirit, right? You can't touch it. So John is trying to help them see Jesus was man. There's no doubt about it. You could touch him. I did, John. John had many times, there was one place um, in John 13 at the, Lord, at the uh, Lord's Supper where Jesus started that. It says that, that John was reclining with him at the table and that his head was, was near his chest. That there was a deep, intimate, affectionate love for the Son of God for the disciples. That they, they knew him and that he was man. All right. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning... The word of life. Concerning the word of life. So now he's calling him the word of life. And then he tells us in verse 2, the life was made manifest. The life was made manifest. Made manifest to all of us. Made manifest to every single one of us. Um, at my house, I, uh, I, it's really weird. I, I live five minutes away from a Verizon store. Literally. I can get to a Verizon store within five minutes. But for some reason, where my house is... It's, it's just kind of this black hole vacuum of reception for cell phones. Um, I, all the time, I'm walking around my house. I have to, if I go over to the window and I kind of back up and hold my head right, I can get reception. If I ever hold my phone like this, I can't hear anything. Everybody just completely goes away. And so I get, I get really good at this little game that I have to play with my phone, which is um, it's kind of like fill in the blanks with the sentence that people are saying to me. Hey, Fud, going to... Uh, so I, There. Right. What did he say? Hey, Fudd, I'm going to go ahead and go and I'll meet you. I mean, I don't know. It's like a little game I get to play with myself. So whenever I'm on the phone with you, if you've never noticed, um, it's like, uh, what would you say? Could you say it again? I didn't get you. Could you say it again? Um, and so it's kind of this, this little thing I have to go through. It's, it's really fun. Um, five minutes away from a Verizon store, but I'm praying that, that the Lord would shine down some grace upon me one day and put just a tower in my vicinity. I don't think, I think the closest tower must be Columbia because I can't get anything when it comes to reception. Um, maybe one bar, maybe. Um, it's pretty brutal and very frustrating. Um, and I don't, I don't really understand everything that people say to me and I have to kind of guess this little mystery about what people are saying. And, and I think that people kind of take that same idea and import it into the scriptures about salvation. That there's this big 
clouded mystery about how to be saved. And so our, go- our goal is to go in there and, and grab the missing thoughts and words that are just mysterious and try to import it in there and, and be these geniuses. Like, what is it that it means to be saved? I don't understand what, how to be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? And that's just not the case at all. I mean, it could not be any more straightforward on how to be a believer to us. There is no big mystery to us. Um, that Jesus is the only way. Here's, this is a very common verse that all of us should know. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that if you would believe in that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will perish. No big, huge, clouded mystery there. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And he tells us here, the life was made manifest. Um, he's written concerning the word of life, and the life was made manifest. So I want to put up the third distinction here of Christianity, which is that Jesus is the only way for life and salvation. Jesus is the only way for life and salvation. Jesus is the only way. For life and salvation. Acts, another verse, Acts 4.12. Um, I want to make sure I have it to you exactly. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no big mystery here. Jesus is the only way for life and salvation. Um. John 1.14 tells us that this, that this life um, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. So he's talking about what it means to be um, incarnated to us. What it means to be manifested to us. Um, and now we can know eternal life because it's referring to the incarnation. This word made manifest to us. Um, let me uh, flip over to John 1.1 and just kind of show you what exactly he's talking about. I'm trying to stick with John mostly because John wrote the letter and John also wrote the gospel. So there's a lot of similarity in thought. So you're kind of seeing everything he's saying. Um, this is what he says. John 1, 9, it says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his people did not receive him. But to all, here it is, verse 12, but to all who did receive him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor through the will of the flesh, but nor of the will of man, but of God. So those who believe in God are born of God. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And truth. So, God has told us that Christ is the absolute only way, and that there is no other way that we can be saved. There is no other name which we, we can be saved given among men besides Christ. Now, as I said at the very beginning, for some of you that are Christians, for some of you that are Christians, um, these first three things that I've said are things that you know. The things that you know. I believe that God, 
that Jesus was God. I believe that Jesus was man, and I believe that there's no other way for salvation. Um, and I want these truths to be, to be things that shape you. I don't want them to be things that you, uh, you just kind of, okay, I agree with that. That sounds good. Can I get on to the deeper things of theology? Can we, can we just um, study things um, that, that are way easier to understand? Because those are the things that I learned basically at, uh, at Christianity 101 when I asked Jesus in my heart at VBS when I was seven, um, that Jesus is God, Jesus is man. I, I affirm that, and that's how I tell people, 100% God, 100% man, and he's the only way to salvation, so you've got to believe in Jesus. Um, if, if you firmly believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. The only way to salvation. Wouldn't his love compel you the same way that it compelled us Monday to go find the people that are lost? Probably two-thirds of the people in the world, two-thirds of the people in the world will disagree with us when we say Jesus is the only way to salvation. One third would agree, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're following Christ as disciples. That's a lot of people. So wouldn't it compel us, these truths, shouldn't it compel us to go find the people that are lost? Um, in, my, in my house, I've had to pick up the laundry over the last three weeks, the responsibilities of the laundry um, and the cleaning and stuff, um, which I'm glad to do. You know, God's sanctifying me through this. Um, but I keep finding two dimes and a penny all the time in the house. Um, and it's always the same two dimes and a penny all throughout the house. And when I'm doing laundry, I reach in there or they'll fall out. Oh, there they are. Oh, on the counter, here's the two dimes. and a, It's JC. JC has found 21 cents. And to her, she has found all the money in the world. And she holds on to it like you would hold on to a million dollars. I mean, it's in her pocket. She might even have, well, I think it's on the laundry thing right now. But she holds on to it. Um, and she, I mean, it is everything to her. She keep, Everywhere she goes, I want to, I got to get my change. I got to get my 21 cents and put it in my pocket and take it with me wherever I go. Everywhere she goes, she's all about having that 21 cents with her. And I've just now noticed it because I've kind of taken on the laundry and the cleaning. And there it is on the counter. JC, here's your, here's your two dimes and a penny. Don't forget it. Um, but it's interesting. As, as we've been going around, um, whenever we're going places and we might need something, she will freely, every single time, can we go do that? No, we can't do it. I've got 21 cents. I can give you 21 cents. We can go there. We can get that done. And even if it's not something that benefits her or brings her joy, if it's just, oh, I've got to stop and get some gas, I've got 21 cents, Daddy. I can help out. JC, your 21 cents not going to go very far. Um, thank you. That's very kind. I know how dear that 21 cents is to you. But you just keep your, you keep your 21 cents. Um, she doesn't understand that it's not very much because to her, it's all that she has. So it is a lot. And she freely offers it to me continually, all the time. Now, she loses it because she's six. But she freely, freely offers it to me as much as she possibly can. I, I know that if you're in the faith and you're a believer and you're, you're struggling through sanctification and you're fighting sin all the time and you, you feel like you don't have victory in Christ and you feel like there's not a whole lot of, um, not a whole lot of 
evangelism coming out of you towards people, I know that you feel like you don't have very much to offer sometimes. I know that you don't think you have very much to offer, but it's what you have. And so I'm wondering, are you willing to just give it all? A, 20, a, a six-year-old understands that everything she has, which isn't much, it's all, in her mind, that's all she has. She's willing to give it all. It's just 21 cents. But how much more, if we know the gospel, we know Christ, and there are people out there that need to be found, and I know you don't feel like you have much, but what you have is what you have, and that's what God wants you to have. How much more should you be willing to go and give everything that you have so that people can be saved. These are just some distinctions. There's, there's more. We'll get into them next week. Um, we've made it through verse 1 and the first two words of verse 2. Um, so we'll be in First John for a while. Um, but I want to stop here and just kind of close with this. How much are you giving? And how much can you give? How much are you giving? And how much more can you give? There are people that need to be found. And it shouldn't take me coming and trying to plead with you. Please. Please. If Christ has died for you, His love should compel you and constrain you. It's amazing. Um, the goal of a sermon almost is to try to get you to love the person that you should already love, who's already given everything that you need. Every week, it's to try to reinvigorate you to go love the person that you should already love, to go serve the person you already should be serving, which I'm happy to do because I need to hear every word I'm saying just like you. So how much more do you need to give? I'm hoping, Christian, um, that you're being challenged. And for those of you maybe who don't know Christ and maybe you haven't heard some of these messages um, about Christ and some of these truths about Christ, I just, I just want to ask you, what's holding you back? He's clearly told us that He is the only way to salvation and that you cannot find salvation in any other way but faith in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you will receive eternal life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will receive eternal death. This isn't some game. This isn't some, I'll put it off later, whenever I get older. This isn't some, God, i got a whole lot of questions you need to answer. And there's part of that where that's true. Maybe you do have some questions. But i found that I get my questions answered better from someone that I know than from someone I don't know. Maybe you've been through some suffering in your life and you don't understand why. It's going to be very difficult to know why until you know God. And then you read His Scriptures and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you shaping you. And then you'll come to realize that God is good all the time. And why you might not understand, just like I don't understand why things happen, you'll believe that God is good because He has saved you. So however God's leading you this morning, I pray that you would be obedient. Maybe you need to take a couple minutes as we start worship.
just to think and pray. For those of you that don't know Christ, we're going to go into a time of response. Here at Remedy, we put our, our worship at the end of our sermon, not at the beginning, because we believe after we've heard the word, that's when we should respond, and we like to respond through song. And so, if you're kind of like, what's going on here? We're, we're standing and singing to our great Savior who has saved us, responding from hearing His Word spoken to us and letting Him know how much we love Him. And we just ask that you would stand and join with us and sing. And if you're a believer and you need to take a couple minutes, take a couple minutes so that you can stand and rejoice with us that we've been saved by the Gospel. As we sang that first song, How Wretched We Are, now we stand rejoicing and singing because Christ has made us righteous. We are no longer wretched, but we are totally forgiven in Christ. And if you want to put your faith in Christ for the first time, if you'd like to know how to be saved, you can do that today. You can find me at the very end of the service. We'll have people up here that will pray with you. During the worship set, if you would want to find me, I'll be back in here. Come talk to me. I just want you to be obedient and know that today is the day for salvation. We'll pick up the rest of the four verses next week. But let's go into a time of prayer and response. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your truths of your scripture. I thank you that Christianity is Jesus. It's not a set of beliefs. It's not a set of moral actions that we have to follow. That Christianity is thoroughly centered on the person and the work of Jesus. And we worship Jesus. We don't worship rules. We don't worship doctrine. We worship Jesus because He's the one that saved us. And while we don't minimize doctrine, and while we don't minimize being holy, we know that those things aren't the things that save us, that Jesus saves us. Faith in Him. And so I pray for those here, Lord, that maybe have focused on the wrong things in their life, doctrine, focused on the wrong things in their life, keeping the rules, and haven't focused on Christ. I pray that you would, you would change their hearts. I pray for those here, Lord, that um, don't ever feel compelled or constrained by the love of Christ to go find those who are lost. I pray, Lord, that you would change their heart and their mind, that they would confess that as sin, and that they would stand and sing out to you how glorious you are that you have made us righteous and begin the process of wanting to share the gospel. No longer finding themselves complacent. No longer finding themselves just kind of scooting through life, whatever, but on fire for Christ. I pray for those, Lord, that don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would no longer wait they would no longer put off faith. But as John has compelled us to see that Jesus is the only way to salvation, they would put their faith in Him and begin now knowing Jesus, God Himself, the author and perfecter of our faith. They would understand what it means to be forgiven for their sin and that they would want that. Their sin is no longer held against them because of Christ. What a glorious truth. We love you, Father. And we just pray that we respond according to your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.